So good morning everyone. Welcome to our two-day session. I think there's maybe uh, about 15 of us, 16 including me. And one, one thing to consider before I go into my talk this morning is that we're all pretty lucky devils to be here, you know. How many people are being able to escape the gravitational pull of their domestic lives or their social lives, either because they don't want to or they can't, um, to actually spend a weekend of their time just resting in the experience of being and experiencing the miracle of just being alive and everything that is alive and that exists and just to be present with that for a sustained period of time. It, it's a gift um, to be able to do that. And most people are, like ourselves, caught up in doing, doing, doing all the time, talking, listening, con conversing, socialising. Um, the mind is often speedy and that's fine but um, when we don't give ourselves a chance to stop and just recognise and appreciate life as it is, um, then we can skim over the surface. And uh, when we finish this session and we go back into our domestic lives and our work and so on, we'll be caught up in, in busyness too. But hopefully what happens is that there's something, we, it's, a, it's a metaphor I often use, we, we get stained by the experience of session, like dipping a, a cloth in a dye. And the more we do it, we, we, we're stained with the, uh, the experience of life as it is, and just being. And then that can permeate the way that we, we run our lives when we need to get involved in doing again. Um, recently, I've been um, doing a series of talks on the precepts and I want to give another talk on that today um, because I think it's such an important part of practice which is not focused on nearly enough. And uh, we all know how popular mindfulness has become, you know, um, in the media and generally, and that's a wonderful thing that it has. But as I've been saying in some of the talks on Tuesday night, um, if you want to mature in the practice, you need to be committed to practicing mindfulness, meditation, mindfulness in everyday life, and the precepts. And if you don't do both, you simply will not mature in the practice. So both are important. And um, as I was saying, um, a Tuesday night before or the one before that, is that you can think of precepts as ethics or as morals. They're not really the words I want to use to describe what the spirit of it is. Um, and a word which I think better describes what we're trying to cultivate through practicing the precepts is integrity um, and ethical integrity. And it's all based on non-harming. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it's based on non-harming is that that, that, that uh, spirit of, of non-harming actually comes out of the basic um, tenet of Buddhist practice um, which is that everything is interconnected. The negative way of saying it is everything is empty, but the positive way of saying it is everything is integrated and connected together. And that is the wonder of life, that it's this inter interlocking relationships between all things that are shifting and moving all the time. And the 
practice of the precepts is really, in one sense, it's a practice to um, help us see clearly into the interconnectedness of everything. And on the other hand, it's actually an expression of that insight, that, that fact that everything is interconnected. And everything, if everything is interconnected and everything depends on everything else for its survival, then it's a logical kind of conclusion that wouldn't we want to care for the whole thing? Not just care for me, do you know, or what's in my self-interest, that we broaden our, our self-interest to be wider and wider and wider. Um, and that we see that what, what is harmful to someone else actually ends up being harmful to me. It's easier to see that in a family. It's harder to see that in the, the larger scheme of things, but we're seeing it more clearly even in ecology, you know, with global warming and things like that. We harm the environment, we harm ourselves, we harm everything. And so it's all based on, on non-harming, not that we can necessarily go through life through not causing harm, and sometimes we um, have to make very difficult choices between what is really harmful or less harmful. And I'll come to that a little bit later on. But what's involved in the precepts is um, really, from a, from a Dharma perspective, it's about, it's not believing in moral positions. It's developing a sense of intention and a very strong intention um, one, you can put it in the negative sense, not to harm, but the other side of it is, is, to, is to create love and harmony, you know, and to, and to be constructive rather than destructive in the way that one engages in the world. And you can take up the precepts formally. Some people like to take them up formally, um, and that involves a little ceremony that we have, you know, like in a session. Um, but people may also wish to take them up informally. It's up, up to everyone how they do that. Just in the same sense as some people might want to enter into a um, committed relationship, but they don't want to actually get married. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter. You can do it either way. But really, the, the important thing is the intention um, that's involved in that. Um, just on that too, um, some people um, find it easy to take up meditation practice. They don't have a problem with that, but they have some kind of resistance to actually taking up the precepts, um, as though it's a step too far to take, you know, or that it means having to obey to some kind of authority or whatever. It, it simply is, is not that. If, if that's the idea people have of it, it's really misleading. Um, that's why I use the word integrity. It's, it's about finding your own wisdom and your own love within yourself, which comes out and is guided by these particular precepts. So it's not about bowing down to some moral authority like the Pope or the Dalai Lama or whoever it might be who says, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. It's not that at all. Um, but if I come back to the, to the idea of um, marriage too, you know, or committing to a lifetime relationship, well, if you really love one, it's not someone, it's not that hard to do, really. 
Um, it's, it's a willing sacrifice you make because you love something. And the same applies to the precepts. If you, if you love life, if you want to nurture life, then it's not really such a big deal to, to make a, a, a strong intention um, to be guided by these precepts. And I wanted to take uh, one particular precept today and look at it more closely. And that is, um, I take up the way of speaking of others with openness and possibility. Um, this comes from Diane Rosetto's book, um, Waking Up to What You Do. For those of you who don't know Diane, she's a, a friend and colleague of mine in the a teacher in the ordinary mind since school. And uh, the, uh, the traditional way that it's stated is um, not discussing the faults of others. Um, and so what Diana has done in her book is she's changed the negatives into a positive. The precepts can be looked at as a prohibition and as an aspiration. Not either or, but both. And when we use the words um, not discussing the faults of others, that's kind of like a prohibition, like don't do this. But when we use the words, um, I take up the way of speaking of others with openness and possibility, then that's something that we aspire to. And it, it serves both purposes. It's not one or the other. But when we, when we take it up, whichever wording we use, um, as a prohibition, it's kind of like the equivalent um, of a red light starts sort of flashing in your mind in certain situations. So with this particular precept, you might be in a group, do you know, that's, that's starting to gossip about someone else or put someone else down or make racist comments or something, you know. And, and at that point, it's kind of like this is the time where the precept kicks in and you could see yourself getting drawn into a group think, do you know, in a, a, a group speech and the red light starts flashing, it's like, precept. Not discussing the faults of others. Like, what do we do here? And and then you're guided by that maybe to say nothing, maybe not add to the add to the drama, add to the gossip or whatever. But it's like alert. And it, and it's and it's probably um, addressing you to um, impulse control, right? At that point. And yet we can also see it um, as an aspiration. And when you see it as an aspiration, it's like, like, like a green light starts to flash. And, and you recognise that you, you naturally want to move towards a loving, open kind of view of another person, particularly if they might be a, a difficult person in your life. Uh -huh. Of course, it's easy to be open towards those who we feel treat us well or like us or whatever um, but it's more challenging with people that we find difficult or they find us difficult um, so a way of looking at all of these precepts <coughs> is they're kind of like a, um, a tool of discernment you know, to help us kind of guide us into ways of thinking and behaving um, which are wholesome and constructive rather than unwholesome or destructive. Now, at this point, it's worth, um, you know, to get our bearings in this too, is to look at the, uh, one of the statements of the Buddha, which comes from the 
Dharmapada. The thought manifests as the word, the word manifests as the deed, the deed develops into habit, and the habit into character. So watch the thought and its ways with care, and let it spring from love, born out of concern for all beings. As the shadow follows the body, as we think, so we become. Good words. And what that is implying too, you know, to integrate this with mindfulness is that when we work with a precept, we also need to be working with mindfulness too, which involves um, self-observation, which we do, which we do a lot like in a session like this. We notice the thoughts coming up. We don't just notice them, but we notice them with discernment. Mm -hmm. And say we might be sitting and realise we're we're in our mind at least we're gossiping about someone else or criticising someone else. And of course, as we all know, there's no point judging yourself harshly for doing that, but there's certain there's certainly a noticing of it, and there's a noticing of whether it feels savoury or not, right? um, or unsavoury. Right? Um, and and we pick that up and we observe it. And where, where close observation really comes into, into play in practicing these precepts too, like with this precept, not criticizing the faults of others, what am I actually feeling inside and what am I thinking when I want to criticize the faults of others? What's actually going on there? And we become curious of it. And if we look into that, generally speaking, what we might find um, is that we're feeling insecure. Mm-hmm. We're not actually feeling too, too good about ourselves in some kind of way. And it's an easy kind of deflection to make ourselves feel good to join in criticising someone else in some kind of way. Um, there's a lot of um, books written in psychology around in-groups and out-groups and how gossip actually develops in organisations or in families. And um, without getting too technical about it, there's a, there's a term we use which is triangulation. Um, and organisations are often made up of interlocking triangles, particularly if it's a very dysfunctional organisation with lots of gossip going on. And basically what happens between human beings is that any two people who may have a conflict may find it very difficult to actually address that conflict with one another in a direct, open kind of way. And instead of doing it, they engage someone else and talk to that person they don't like with a third person or a fourth person. And then it interlocks and it goes round and round and round. And the degree to which it does in an organisation, in a family, is kind of equal to the indicative of the level of dysfunction there will be there. Because everyone, what happens if you get caught up in gossip and criticising other people, then the person that you're doing it with mustn't trust you either because when might you turn on me, you know, and gossip about me? It all kind of shifts and goes around. And to put this in the positive aspect, if you actually practice with this um, precept and and you develop a strong intention not to do it, and you're in an organisation or a family or extended family, 
Um, if you don't get engaged in that, at some level people pick it up. They, don't, they may not consciously know what's going on, but they kind of realise you don't, you don't invest in this. You actually never get caught up in gossiping about other people. And people will intuitively trust someone like that and they become a kind of a stabilising catalyst within, with an organisation. And people start to trust them because they realise that they actually never gossip about anyone. Um, the other thing we need to recognise about precepts, and, and to use this as an example, is that they're not just prohibitions or aspirations. They're kind of... The precepts are kind of like koans too. They're kind of like dilemmas that we face with in life. Diana gives the, the, the good example in, in her book is that you, you're sitting in a forest and a, and a hunter goes by do you know, and the hunter asks you, what, did you see the, where the rabbits went to? <laughs> you know, and, and if you say yes, then, then you're colluding you know, with the death of the rabbits. And, and if you say no, I don't know where they went to, you're lying. You know, right? <laughs> and, then, and then if you happen to see the, the hunter's children running behind and they're starving, you know, do you, do you deprive the, the hunter's children of, of food or, you didn't, or don't you? That's the way life is. It's kind of like we're faced with, with moral dilemmas all the time. That's why there's no... You can't have some kind of fixed view of this, you know, and all we can do is, is just do the best we can in circumstances knowing that something lives and something dies, you know, something gains and something loses, mm -hmm. and we do the best we can with it. But we do it with, uh, but if we're doing it with um, <coughs> a, a, a sense of care, you know, and observation rather than just blindly in a knee-jerk way, then that, there's, a, there's a difference in the experience. Although the rabbits may not agree with us. <laughs> <laughs> or the cows, for that matter. Yeah. Um, when we get... Do you know one of the statements that um, I often make about <coughs> practice which comes from Joko, which um, in turn comes from a, a Japanese Zen teacher, um, is that what we're doing in practice is melting the frozen block of emotion thought. And, and that is the dynamic that go, that, that's in place when we get caught up in criticising the faults of others, is that we've frozen someone into being this type of person. Right? We've frozen them in time. And, um, and when we have no sense of openness or possibility, they're frozen and they're like an ice block and they're never going to melt. That's just the way they are. Mm -hmm. And would we want to relate to ourselves like that? Like we've all got difficulties and so on. Would we like to relate to ourselves in the sense without openness and possibility that I can never grow or mature or reach um, my true nature? Would we really want to do that? Um, our, our aspiration is to melt our own frozen block of emotion thought. So the spirit of this precept is um, the way that we would want to treat ourselves is the way that we would want to treat others. Now, again, to look at the, the koan-like nature of, of this um, precept is that there are, there are many situations that we're in in life as a psychologist, as a manager, as a family member, whatever, where um, 
we do need to assess or critique the behaviour of other people and um, um, and we have to do it. Someone maybe um, have a pattern of being unreliable. You know, there's many different instances you can think of they're unreliable. So are they really going to be the best person for this job? And you've got to talk about it with other managers or other teachers or whatever. And, and, and you need to say about this person, well, they did X, Y, Z, and they don't appear to be reliable. Mm-hmm. So are you breaking the precept? Not necessarily. What is important between people is that information is exchanged. And exchanging information is not exactly the same as criticising the faults of others, even though that, that information may be negative. Mm-hmm. But it's the manner in which it's done. And I could say that Bill is unreliable, and the tone in which I say it is, Bill is unreliable, you just can't trust him, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a criticism. But it's the manner in which it's said. And, and, and to follow the spirit of this, if I, if I don't freeze Bill into this character who's unreliable, there's possibly times when he is reliable. But if I've, I've got this fixed view of him, I'll never see it. I'll dismiss it. Mm-hmm. So it's always, um, it's always, it, always um, recognising that people can change, including ourselves, and that life is impermanent. And we, we read things as they are, life as it is, rather than having this fixed view. Mm-hmm. And, and from an insight point of view, all Dharma practice is about dropping fixed views. Right. No viewpoint, no fixed viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what matures out of the practice. <clears throat> The other aspect of this, it's not only just um, talking about others with openness and possibility or not criticising through words um, the faults of others, um, but it's also to go back to the Buddha's words about going back to the thinking process in the first place. First is thinking of negative thoughts about others and then there's talking about it. And so our practice is about noticing the um, the inner dialogue that goes on um, where we invest in negative thoughts or not. Now they will arise but it's a matter of whether we just see them as they are and personally invest in them or we just see them going by. Um, I've implemented this into my work doing couple therapy and it seems often to have a lot of benefit and so um, to explain it if I'm seeing a couple who are in conflict and not getting on, um, at some point I often introduce them to the idea, do you know when you're not getting on with each other, you often are ruminating during the day on each other's faults and, you know, he always does this and she always does that and he never, never does this, you know, da 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 And you go round and round in it, particularly when you're not getting on. And what I suggest to people to do, I'm saying I'm not suggesting that what you're thinking might be accurate or inaccurate because you know each other very well and you know each other's, you know, foibles. It might be true what you're thinking, but the problem and the poison comes in in repeating it over and over and over to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right, so it, it's the rumination becomes the problem. 
And what I do is that I encourage people as a, a mindfulness exercise to take away and a commitment is to be aware when you're ruminating on the negative faults of your partner and then have a, have a commitment to notice it, drop it, come back to the present moment, whatever it is you're doing, driving a car, chopping vegetables, following your breath, whatever. Just keep, don't, don't keep feeding it. Even if you think it's true, don't keep feeding it. Because if you, if you fed that view of yourself, do you know, of your partner, next time you see them, that's all you see. You've, you've projected it onto them. And as soon as you walk in the door from work, that's what you see. Right? <laughs> Even though they might have smiled at you, that's what you see, the grumpy one. Right? Right? So that's how it works. And so it's about, it's about unfreezing about all of that. It's about um, not feeding a fixed point of view. And to come back to what we say in the practice principles all the time, it's always just coming back to life as it is. What is this person in this moment right now? Right? What's this person right here now? Like, not the one I, I've imagined to be from previous experiences. Right? Then, we're, then we're right there in the moment, responding to the moment as it is. So what we do in our deluded way through life, there is life as it is, and then what we do as human beings is we add on to it. We just add on. And we add on with our thoughts, you know, and our, our imagination. We add on, add on, add on, until what is true is what we've added on, rather than what's really there. And so practicing the precepts is a way of, like, polishing the mirror. So the mirror is just simply reflecting um, how how we are and how we are in relation to other people. As you actually practice this with this, you know, it's good to take up one precept at a time and journal it and work with it for a week or two and really just go into focusing on one. And the way to work with it is not just looking at all the, all the times you thought of criticising someone or did, but also it's important to look at the other side of it as the, the times when you didn't. You know, to look, look at the, the aspiration as well, you know, and to actually validate and recognise what it's like to have actually treated someone with openness and possibility, particularly if you find them difficult. Right? And, and to recognise the difference in felt, felt, felt sense around it. You know, that, that, that it leaves you with a feeling, with a, just a, a clearer kind of feeling rather than one that's kind of cranky and contracted and closed in. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you.